Good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming to Maranatha this morning. Um, I appreciate you guys all being here. Uh, if you would, take a minute and just greet each other around you as you take your seats. A few quick things here. If you are new to Maranatha, you've not been here before, there are yellow sheets either in the seat in front of you or at the welcome desk in the back left as you leave the sanctuary. Uh, Please feel free to fill those out so that we can stay in contact with you. Um, Also, uh, if you would like to give an offering um, for those who attend, uh, the offering boxes at the back of the sanctuary there. Um, this morning, Justin uh, Peterson's discipleship group is going to be canceled, uh, so if you were going to attend that, that is no longer happening, but please feel free to stay in fellowship or attend one of the other ones. Um, Ruby's Pantry, October 21st on Saturday at Living Water Church. Uh, they need volunteers, 7 a.m., and they are also looking for coats, uh, one second here. Coats, hats, and mittens. So if you would like to uh, bring some of those, please bring them to Living Water Church prior to that Saturday so that they can get that stuff in the mix for handing that stuff out. Uh, the coats will be handed out on October 21st, so actually they need to be there by October 20th. There's a bin at the front doors. Family Celebration Sunday will be... I forgot about that. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Family Celebration Sunday will be October 29th. So on that day, there will be no children or youth Sunday school nor adult discipleship groups. Uh, But feel free to stay and uh, join us for coffee and fellowship. Also, the 2023 Operation Christmas Child is looking for participants. Need people to pack shoe boxes as a family. Um, information on all of the stuff for Operation Christmas Child is in the fellowship hall. Uh, and if you have any questions regarding that, please see Joan Niedemeyer. I can't see if she is here. She, wave her hand. She's right over there. Please see her if you have any questions with that. They are still looking for some donations for the shipping costs. And the packing party will actually be on Sunday, November 12th. So they need 11 more families. So if you would like to sign up to help pack those boxes, uh, please see Joan or um, fill that out. I believe there's a sign-up sheet in the fellowship hall. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for um, being a glorious God, for uh, bringing your son, Jesus, to us to bring salvation to our door, that we can have that as, as sinners And I thank you, God, that as fallible people, that you still choose to use us and that you use us around the world to bring your message of hope and joy. And I uh, just ask, God, as we celebrate um, and hear from missionaries, that you would be glorified in that and that we would be challenged to a life of service uh, to bring you glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen. One. 
This is going to be a great, we say it's Missions Week, but it's eight days, so we'll do an eight-day week here. We're excited. Just be, Simone, why don't you come up now? There she is. Yeah, so we're going to talk. As she's coming up, I want to remind you, we have this missionary calendar. As you walk into the sanctuary there, we have this available for you. So I encourage you, if you didn't grab one for this month, grab it. We have this mapped out, and we'll talk more about what, why it's color-coded next week and all of that. And it's exciting to have this happen at the end of the book of Philippians. As we're going through the book of Philippians, you know that Paul is writing to a church that has supported him, and it's great to have this part happening at the end of Philippians. So you have a microphone. Good. I got an extra one here. We got a lot of people coming up here. So I'm excited about today. So tell me about this week. What do we got planned? What are some of the events that we got going on? Well, we're really excited about the Missions Week where we get to just celebrate those missionaries of our Maranatha Church that we get to come alongside with and support. And that's what this week is about. It's about connecting, praying, and encouraging those missionaries this week. Awesome. So let me just, even before we talk through what's going to happen this week, I got, here it is. So part of it is praying. And I love it when I get prayer requests that are urgent because I'm like, all right, God's calling me to action. Even when it's not urgent, God's still calling me to action. This is an urgent prayer request. I got it last night. We got this email. So this week is full of different events, which I'm going to have you share in a moment here. But if you could maybe put in your phone right now, tomorrow be praying for the Hoffmans, praying that that situation will get resolved in that. So what are some, give me some of the events that we got going on this week. Well, first of all, in all our groups, whether it's here at service or a discipleship group or a youth group or Awana, we will always be highlighting at least one of our missionaries and just updating you on what's going on and how you can be praying for them. Prayer is our main focus this week. We really want to just gather behind them and support them with that prayer. Mm -hmm. What about tonight? Well, and tonight we have a special event going because we're going to have a prayer meeting from 6 to 7, so you're all invited to just come and really take that time to focus on our missionaries to pray. We're very excited about that. Awesome. Since your phone's out because you already marked you're going to be praying for the Hoffmans, set your alarm for 545. It will go off and go, oh, time to go to church and pray. And as you mentioned, so like at Awana this week, youth group, what's happening there then? So in those groups, we have something special planned. We'll be focusing on the missionary kids, since they also need a lot of prayer in those situations that they're in. But yesterday, actually, we already started with the men's breakfast, because they already focused on the Hellerstats. Awesome. And you would know directly what it's like to be a kid in a different country. Yeah. Awesome. And then we've got those events happening. I'm trying to think, is there anything else going on? Well, we have for all of you guys, when you later on go into the fellowship hall, you will find information on each one of the tables about each one of our missionaries. So take the time while you're drinking your coffee and eating your donut to look at that, maybe get connected with them. We have their email addresses on there. There are little cards that you can take away and um, write to them to sign up for their newsletter so that you can be praying for them. Another thing that we have in the fellowship hall is our, what we like to call, adopt a missionary, which is really just you saying that you're committing to getting that missionary's newsletter, reading it, praying for them, and responding. 
So if you want to come by that table and just tell us which missionary you are doing that for, that would be great, just so we know that we have that prayer support behind our missionaries. And we have one more special activity. we got a lot of stuff going on, which is our scavenger hunt, our missionary scavenger hunt, just to kind of encourage our congregation to get to know all the missionaries that we have. And so that will also be in the fellowship hall. And you take a little paper, and there are some statements about our missionaries, and you have to find out which missionary is meant. And if you submit it, we have this week and next week after next Sunday, we have some pretty great prizes for it. There are Starbucks gift cards and Skate City and Little Caesars, too. Awesome. Awesome. Anything else? I think that's it. Awesome. In fact, if you're part of the missions team, would you stand up? I know there's a few of you peppered throughout here, so that way we can connect with you. If, you, if we have questions or anything. Awesome. Thank you so much. We're excited about this. When I was at Arrowhead Bible Camp working there for eight and a half years, we started doing mission trips with our discipleship groups. And in that time, I got to meet Cheyenne, at the time Clark. And uh, it was a privilege to go overseas to Bolivia, working in an orphanage. And then I got to meet Lucas when he was at the YWAM base. That's where they met. And uh, now they're together. And some of you may recall seeing his face. He used to help leading worship here. So Lucas, are, is the whole family coming up? Okay, awesome. So give them a hand. They're going to share a little bit of what they've been doing. Good morning. Happy to be with you guys this morning. Um, we know many of you, as Cody said, uh, him and I and, and Cheyenne and him go back to when we were kids. Um, so it's always great to be back. And um, I, I, I kind of want to bring forward a summary of the last couple of years um, and kind of an introduction, reintroduction to some of you. I know we know many of you, um, and many of you are new. Um, Time moves quickly, and somehow it's been almost seven years since we moved. Um, and so again, this is my wife, Cheyenne, our daughter, Everly, and our newest, Stiora. Um, and so our family's growing. Um, as why, uh, as uh, Cody mentioned, uh, Cheyenne and I met at Youth with a Mission, or YWAM, where we were serving um, and, and learning in a discipleship training school. And so after years of leading discipleship training schools and doing more traditional missions, primarily in northern Thailand and then also in central and eastern Europe, we found ourselves called domestically to Minneapolis. Our heart was to bring groups from YWAM churches and churches uh, to learn how to minister in the cities and take them on domestic outreaches. Um, so we did that. Uh, we led a number of outreaches in the Twin Cities, um, and during that time, we also found out, of course, I mean, we knew beforehand, but uh, saw just the need that people had in the cities, the youth in the cities, um, especially in their need for a savior. Um, so once the Lord got us there, we saw also how many YWAM alumni or former missionaries, um, former even churchgoers, um, were in the Twin Cities, living, living there and 
kind of being disconnected from the church, disconnected after leaving missions, um, and needing a connection point back, um, back to the word, back to community, back to worship. Um, and so during that time, uh, we were meeting in coffee shops, uh, we had some discipleship groups, and we were really meeting all over the cities. Um, and we also kept hosting individuals and teams wanting to minister to the cities. Uh, in 2020, three things happened that were going to bring forth some changes for us. Uh, the first thing that was happening in 2020 was that Cheyenne's chronic health issues became so bad that she could no longer walk. Um, for a period of time, her doctor suggested that she would need a wheelchair. Uh, she had been walking miles a week doing prayer walks and spiritual tours of the cities with people, and it became clear that this was no longer an option. Uh, the doctors did all kinds of scans and couldn't find anything that they could help with. They could only offer medications to treat symptoms. And, but with God's guidance, she found a believing doctor um, who ventured into alternative methods and lifestyle changes uh, that have since put that condition into remission. Um, so Cheyenne's doing much better. As you can see, she's walking, which is really good news. The second thing that happened in 2020, of course, was COVID. Uh, we all know what that was like. Um, however, in the Twin Cities, it, it felt like a dystopian nightmare in a lot of ways. Um, our team quickly lost all of the access to places we had previously been gathering people for events and worship. Um, it was a really hostile environment uh, to gatherings, and so it was a process of what do we do with this? You know, how do we love, but also how do we maintain community and still gather and worship the Lord together? Um, and then the third thing that happened, of course, uh, immediately local to us was the riots in Minneapolis. Um, we'll never forget what it was like to be a minority in our own neighborhood and see the fires from our windows. Um, we lived on the north side of the city, just a mile and a half from downtown, and uh, things there were, they deteriorated quickly, um, and so that was a really stressful time, um, and those three things combined gave us two options. We could either quit, or we could use our house as the venue to gather, um, and as a great teacher once said, um, in, moments of notice, in a moment's notice, be ready to praise, pray, preach, or die. We opted not to quit. Although our home was only a, a thousand square feet, how could we do this in our two-bedroom, one-bath, 1910 falling-apart house? Uh, we decided not to overthink it and just start inviting people over, and it quickly became apparent that people did not mind being crammed together. In fact, people craved the vulnerability that came from being together in the small home. The worship and intercession nights, conversations about God, they were just way more intense and more real than any we had hosted in our former, formal venues, of churches and coffee shops. Uh, we were determined to use every inch of space that God gave us. We renovated and decorated each room to be welcoming and cozy, even the crooked front porch. Shortly after, Cheyenne and her friend were able to lead a rough and tumble convert to the Lord on that tiny three-season porch. It had been primed and prayed over. We had people stay the night so many times, sleeping on the couch, under the table. Actually, we had people sleeping under our dining room table. We had people sleeping in a tent in the backyard. 
which in North Minneapolis was an exciting experience for them. Uh, God really used these few years to open our eyes into how hospitality can be used to further the gospel and how it disarmed people and softened hearts. A warm cup of tea turned into a full-on cry session. And honestly, many of these people needing love and care were burnt-out ministers, as Shai learned the hard way. Those who didn't take the time or space to rest and reset. We began offering our space to ministers whenever we found ourselves out of town. Since many don't have the budget to go on getaway weekends, a free and open space is necessary. Then we began dreaming of a bigger space in a quieter area in 2021. And in 2022, we sold our house in Minnesota for well over what we had paid. And we were able to purchase a big home across the river in Wisconsin. Um, Now we live in Glenwood City, if you're familiar. Um, And we're excited to see what God has in store for us. We've already had the blessing of hosting so many seeking refuge. And we don't even have our formal website up yet. God has blessed us with Stiora in March, and uh, another thing was we weren't, we weren't really sure if we would be able to have more children after Cheyenne's health crisis, and so we were both overjoyed when we found out Stiora was on the way. Um, we'd love for you to connect with us and come to an up, upcoming event at our hospitality house. If you have a, a minister or missionary in mind who needs rest and a reset or on furlough, please send them our way. We're hosting a hospitality roundtable to talk with anyone who wants to learn more about our home and using their home intentionally in the way that we are, um, as well as I'll be sharing some coaching discipleship techniques that you can use in your daily lives. Um, we do have um, some informational sheets Uh, Some are on the back table directly outside, and some are at our table in the fellowship hall. There's also a sign-up for our newsletter. Um, But we're excited to be here. We're excited for this new season of our family's life and ministry. Um, And so we'll be doing, uh, we've called the ministry Hospitality as Mission, um, and we'll be doing that out of our home in Glenwood City. It's great to hear guys are doing and let's all pray together for Luke and Shai. Lord we're so thankful for uh, what you have uh, taken the Narrisons uh, through and and where you've brought them to here now. We thank you for the healing that you brought to Cheyenne and Lord we pray that uh, Lord that would just continue to be a testimony of uh, where uh, they can help others Lord and they can tell of your healing power and goodness. Lord, we pray that you would bless them in this uh, hospitality uh, ministry. Lord, we know that uh, you are the God who says that you cause us to uh, dwell in green pastures and lead us beside still waters, and we pray that they would bring a place where uh, people would would have a time of refreshing with you, Lord, and uh, that this ministry could be one of of, of building and encouragement uh, for Uh, the body of Christ. So bless them, bless them in their work, give them discernment. Would they abide in you in all their ways? In Jesus' name, amen. Of the many missionary trips I've gone on, one of the most dearest to my heart was when I was with the underground church in China. 
And underground doesn't mean kids that they are like badgers. Badgers are one of the coolest animals. We're from Wisconsin. But that they have to meet quietly and privately so people don't know or they'd be thrown in prison or killed. We have the privilege of supporting and connecting with one of our missionaries that does a lot of work with those type of people. So at this time, would you welcome Dr. Pat as she's going to share with us this morning. I'm limping a little because I sprained my ankle. <laughs> well, good morning. I was looking back and I haven't been here for probably six years, and that's uh, only because we kept sending Brother Dave to spend time with you, but uh, I am so glad to be back. This is one of my earlier churches. I think I first came here in 2001, and uh, I don't know if you all know that you are supporting me as one of your missionaries, and much I am so grateful for that, but I'm so grateful also because I know there are a number of people here who are prayer warriors, and our whole focus is prayer for the persecuted. You know, it says in Hebrews 13, 3, remember those in prison as if you're in prison with them because we are all part of the body of Christ. So we need to be praying. It's not an option, it's a command. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. And I love what you did this morning already. Praying for, where are you? Praying for, was it Luke? Yeah, Luke, who was just up here? Yep, be praying for him and for his family. What you do, Luke, is... Uh, Something I couldn't do. Uh, you're, you're an evangelist. You're a hospitality person, you and your wife and kids. And that's something that, uh, uh, wow, that would be hard for me to do. So all the missionaries that are called are called to God's purpose, and we're all called to different roles. I could not be a pastor. I could not be a preacher. I know you could take one word and turn, turn it into a sermon. <laughs> not me. But uh, over the, I've been traveling now for 42 years into countries where Christians do not have religious freedom. And you know, it's gotten worse instead of better. Today, it's estimated that 74, 75% of the world does not have religious freedom. So we have our work cut out for us. And I gotta tell you too, that when I go over into these countries where there is limited to no religious freedom, and I tell them that we're praying for them, that you're praying for them, that really keeps them going. And they tell me, I don't know how they do it, but they tell me they can feel our prayers. So uh, someday you're going to spend eternity with these brothers and sisters, and someone's going to come up to you and say, thank you for praying for me. So this morning I want to tell you about some brothers and sisters that you can pray for that are uh, being persecuted now. Uh, many of them are former Muslims who become Christians and even their families turn against them. So I didn't get a chance to look at the bulletin <laughs> to know if there's any space on there at all for you to write down some names. But if you can, even in the margins, and take that home, put it on your refrigerator or whatever it takes so you can be praying for your brothers and sisters. Um, let me tell you, first of all, about a fellow by the name of Brahan. And if you take out a pencil or pen, I'll even spell his name for you. Brahan is a former Muslim. He lives in Cairo, Egypt. When he became a Christian, his family turned against him, and his own family turned him into the police. Now, becoming a Christian, if you're a Muslim, become a Christian, that is not illegal. In some countries it is, but mostly it's not illegal. But the problem is 
the Muslim law, the Sharia law, uh, the way Muslims are raised, what the Quran says is that if a Muslim becomes a Christian and he doesn't become a Muslim again, then he should be killed. And I have even worked with some that have been killed by their own families. But Brahan is with us. But when he was turned into the police, the police beat him so badly, they actually crushed his skull in certain places. And when they thought he was going to die, they just threw him out right on the street. Well, some people picked him up, uh, brothers and sisters picked him up, brought him to the hospital. But today, Brahan suffers brain damage because of the beatings. He walks very shakily because of that, and yet his faith has grown so strong. He is an amazing, amazing brother. But because of his brain injury, he can't keep a job. He can't remember things. So we do have a couple of families that are supporting and I appreciate that very much because he, you know, he can't support himself. But I just was with him, um, well, last November, it's been about 11 months, and he, he is still doing really good spiritually. So be praying for Braham. Now, I want to tell you about Priva. Uh, Priva, P-R-E-V-A. Priva also was a former Muslim, and she became a Christian because she was listening to sermons that our friend Pastor Jack was, was recording. She was working at the recording studio and she kept listening to him preach and she felt, yes, that's the truth. The Holy Spirit convicted her. She committed her life to Jesus Christ. But her family found out about the, her conversion. They found her Bible and they uh, uh, said, come over to uh, your uncle's house. He has a gift for you. And when she went there, the relatives, the male relatives tied her to a bed hands and feet, tied her to a bed, and there she lay for two and a half months. They, would, uh, they didn't even let her go to the bathroom. I mean, she just laid there for two and a half months till she was almost dead. And then they felt, well, maybe if she dies, we could get into trouble. So they called in a doctor who put her on an IV. All her organs were shutting down everything. They put her on an IV, and her uncle said, when you're strong enough to walk, then you're out of here. And that's exactly what they did. They simply kicked her out onto the street. But she was almost dead. And so um, some Christians that knew of the situation, they came, they got her off the street. They brought her to a hospital. The first hospital said, we're not going to bother with her. She's too far gone. They brought her to a second hospital. The second hospital said, she's almost dead. We're not going to bother. Go away. And finally, at the third hospital, they took her in. She was in the hospital for four and a half months to recover from what they had done to her. I have met with her, she's doing well, um, but her family, her extended Muslim family, took her kids away. They did allow her to keep her 14-year-old son, I don't know why, but um, she is in hiding from her own family because of the abuse. So please be praying for Priva. Now you're gonna see all their pictures this morning, by the way, so that'll be nice. The next one I wanna tell you about is Zena. Now, Zina is a Sudanese, and she's a refugee from the country of Sudan. She ended up in Egypt, which is the country just north of hers. And uh, she, too, was a former Muslim. And when she got to Egypt, she committed her life to Jesus Christ. And her family said, this is a shame that you have dishonored our family. So her husband came to her, and he put down a Bible and a Quran. And he said to her, which one do you want to follow? And she said, the Bible. Then he said, what do you choose, the Bible or your family? She had three kids. 
And she said the Bible. And they kicked her out. She lost everything, her home, her possessions, her family, her children. She lost it all to follow Jesus. She would not deny Jesus Christ. And so she really needs a lot of our prayer. Uh, she is a beautiful, beautiful woman. But God has given her a new family, and that's the family of God. And Christians in Egypt, including other Sudanese refugees, have taken her in and embraced her. God will always provide, but she has lost everything to follow Jesus Christ. The faith that they have amazes me, amazes me. Um, but I do know that if any of us were faced with this situation, it's at that time that God would give you the strength to persevere, the strength to be strong in your faith. So it's hard to say, well, what's going to happen? I don't know to our, us, but I do know that God is faithful, and he will be with you no matter what the situation is. Now, who's got those clipboards? Who's got the clipboards? Okay. Um, we got two over there. Okay, the one there, if you put it, give it to the people in the front here. <laughs> All right, these are simply sign-up sheets for my prayer letter. And many of you are still on my prayer letter list from the 2000s even. But if you aren't and you want to receive prayer letters, they just come from me, from Brother Dave, who's been here. And we try to get it out once a month so that you can pray for your brothers and sisters. And you can pray effectively when you can see their pictures. But we cannot put this, these prayer letters, we can't put them on the internet. Can't put the pictures on the internet because it would be just dangerous for them. So what I want you to do is if you want to sign up and then pass the, the clipboard just to the end of your row and then back and to the end of the next row and back because we have clipboards in each section. So if you want to get those started, that would be super. How many of you know who I'm talking about when I say Pastor Jack? <laughs> wow, quite a few hands have gone up. Well, I've known this young man. Well, he's not young anymore, but I know, I've known him for 30, 32 years. I met him on the first day I was in Egypt. He's an evangelist. He's an Egyptian. He knows the culture. He knows the language. By the time he was 22 years of age, he had led 3,000 people to Christ. And this is in a country where it is, if not illegal, certainly frowned upon for a Christian to share his faith. But he obeyed God. He did. And uh, so what do you do with all those, those new Christians? What he did was he started house fellowships, the underground church, in a sense, the underground church. He started these house fellowships. And in those early days, we used to go to those on a motorcycle. And we'd have a box of Bibles behind us on the motorcycle. But things have changed over the years. He still does what he does, but he has been called in by the police. He has been threatened. He has been beaten, at least twice that I know of, by Muslim mobs. So please be praying for Pastor Jack because he's the one that knows Brahan, that knows Priva, that knows Zena. He's the one that brings them to us so we can be praying. And if there is an, an emergency situation, then we will use the email on those sign-up sheets. But we need your actual address to send prayer letters. So uh, go ahead and pass those around, and we will talk a little bit about what Pastor Jack does with Bibles. You know, that's one of our, our, our uh, uh, mandates, you could say, is to get Bibles into the hands of believers who can't get Bibles. And there's a lot of different ways. My very first trip back in 82 was to smuggle Bibles into China. Uh, in the first 10 years in communist countries, I did a lot of smuggling. But now it's not necessary 
in many of the countries that we work in to smuggle because there are a few Bible societies and so we can get our Bibles somewhat locally, but people can't afford them. Pastor Jack certainly wouldn't be able to afford the Bibles because he passes out thousands of them. Probably by now tens of thousands of Bibles are in Egypt because of him. But he has to do it creatively. You can't stand on a street corner and pass out a Bible. If you do, you're going to get into trouble. Either Muslims in the area, and not all Muslims, but the fanatical ones would, uh, uh, well, really frown upon that. And you could get picked up by the police. Even you and I, if we're out there, we could get picked up by the police and questioned, what are you doing? So uh, what Jack does is he goes to these big book fairs. That's just one of the things he does. He goes to these big book fairs, and he got permission to set up a table, a booth, with Bibles even though, uh, you know, the rest of the things are all just secular books or Islamic books or whatever. He got permission to do that. And he's done it now for three years. And he is an evangelist. And he said that most of the people that came to the booth in the last couple of years have been Muslims. Muslims are curious about what we believe. Sometimes they hear bad things about us. The Bible has been corrupted. We believe in three gods. I mean, all sorts of things. So they come and they ask questions. And although Jack is not supposed to give away Bibles, technically he's supposed to be selling them, if he does sell them, he'll sell a full hardcover Bible for 50 cents. So anybody who wants the Bible can get the Bible. And that's what he's doing. And uh, there's a picture this, this, that you're going to see where he is talking to a little girl, a little Muslim girl with a scarf on, showing her a children's Bible. And he's doing that because his, her, her father is a sheikh, uh, sort of a leader in the mosque. And two years ago, he came and he quietly asked Jack for a Bible. And then he came back the next year, this year, and he said that, uh, do you have any, he said, don't ask me any questions. He says, but do you have any books for children? And so they walked away with a children's Bible, a big one, a big children's Bible. And then he came back, the sheikh, he came back and he goes, don't ask me any questions, but I need a number of Bibles. So I'm assuming the guy is a secret believer, still working in the mosque. So uh, be praying for these book fairs. They're twice a year, Cairo, Alexandria, Egypt, and uh, that is an incredible way to get the Bible into the hands of Muslims who are seeking. So be praying for that. Well, let me tell you, the first thing they ask me when I go over there, anywhere that I go, the first thing they ask for is prayer. So I want to see a show of hands a lot of new people here. Show of hands, how many here are incapable of praying? Oh, everybody's awake. Sometimes somebody's sleeping and you see the hand go up. No, you did good. All right. So uh, what does it cost you to pray? A little bit of time. Doesn't cost you anything monetarily. A little bit of time. So be praying for your brothers and sisters. That's what they ask for. And the second thing they ask for is Bibles. And we can do both. We're going to be taking a love offering this morning. I'm not sure how we're going to do it, but we're going to take a love offering this morning for uh, our brothers and sisters overseas. And 100% of what you give goes directly overseas. There's no administrative cost or anything like that. 100% will go directly overseas, some for Bibles and some for people like Sophia, who I'm going to tell you about. Sophia is a Christian background believer. She's always been a Christian and she married a few years ago, about six, seven years ago, and she married a man who said that he was a Christian. And maybe he was, but he was nominal. He had no relationship with Jesus Christ at all. And so 
he was approached by a Muslim gang. This is again in Egypt. He was approached by a Muslim gang who said, we'll give you like $5,000 to sign papers and become a Muslim. And that's a lot of money over there. That's like 50000 to us. So he said, whoa. So he signed the papers and he became a Muslim legally. And then this gang said, we want to raise your daughter, the little two-year-old, Serena. We want to raise her as a Muslim also. At that point, Sophia, the mother, took Serena and they went into hiding. Now, her husband, we call him Ebel, E-B-I-L, uh, just changed the B to a V, you'll get the idea. He then went after the whole extended family. Sophia's two sisters, her mother, her brother-in-law, they all got arrested because Ebel said, they tried to kill me. And the police are not going to question or side with the Christians over a Muslim for the most part. So he, um, he got them all arrested and uh, they, um, they were all tortured, even the 12 year old, all tortured. Eventually they were released and they all went into hiding. And that's when I went to the new apartment they were at. And by apartment, I'm talking about a two room concrete bunker with no furniture. And that's where they were. And grandma, the mother, was sitting on the floor crying because she had lost everything. When they went into hiding, they had to literally leave everything behind. Well, Ebel didn't give up. And one day, he found out where Sophia was living. And when she came out of the apartment, he attacked her with a knife. And I don't know, this might be a little graphic for the children. I didn't realize we'd have little kids in here. But you're going to see kind of a picture. But children, she got better. She did. She got better. But he attacked her and cut her face. She needed 152 or 156 stitches. But she's fine now. She's fine. But uh, he hasn't given up. And he, now he went after the brother-in-law, had him arrested. And he, I mean, just goes on and on. So be praying for Sophia and her whole family because this guy Ebel just will not give up on them, just keeps going after them and after them. And uh, <clears throat> they're living in fear of the time when they find out. They've had to move again. We moved them to another safe house in June, and hopefully he won't be able to find out where they are. But be praying for Sophia and her family. The brother-in-law's name is Emad, E-M-A-D. Uh, and uh, uh, Emad's wife was also attacked by Ebel. I mean, it just goes on and on. So it's a, it's... It's sometimes it's very violent. Then we talk about Julia. Juliet, I should say, not Julia. Juliet. She's a Christian lady living in Cairo. She's going to use the subway system, and there's even a car just for women. Now, being a Christian, she doesn't wear a scarf. And when she got on the car with the other women, there were some fanatical Muslim ladies that are like completely covered, completely even the eyes are covered. They accosted her. They forced her down into a seat, took out a pair of scissors, and cut off her hair, and in the process gouged her back three times. And uh, now she's afraid to take any sort of public transportation, even Ubers, even taxis, because you never know who is going to be the driver or whatever, and if she could get hurt again. So she's going through a recovery period with you know, the emotions of what had happened. It didn't hurt that much, but still, the emotions of being attacked is, is pretty awful. So be praying for Juliet. Well, now you've got a, a lot of work to do, <laughs> a lot of people you can pray for. And uh, I think that uh, um, the prayers are, are mighty. They're strong, they're mighty, and they will, uh, the brothers and sisters will persevere. But what they ask for, 
is not that the persecution ends. I say pray, but not that the persecution would end, but pray that we will remain faithful. That is amazing. Amen, huh? That they will remain faithful because they know persecution is normal. We, we live in an abnormal society. Our persecution is a little embarrassment or rejection, but there, it's life and death. And yet, they say, don't pray that the persecution ends. Pray that we will remain faithful. And so that's, that's our prayer, is that they will remain faithful. All right, um, we're going to show you a short video so you can see the faces of the people you're praying for. Uh, I've got a table in, in the back here, not in the other room, but in the back here. And uh, I don't know, uh, uh, as soon as the video's over, would you come up and pray for us? All right. I